Yeah. All right. So welcome back. Uh, week two, uh, we are addressing the mess. Um, question I asked last week, um, we got some different people this week. So I'm going to re-ask the question, how many of you uh, have been in a situation where you've been around someone and they seem to be right on the edge and so you have to walk on eggshells around them to uh, not set them off. Anybody? Yes, yes. How many, you're the one, uh, been in a situation, you're the one that's close to being set off so everybody has to walk on eggshells around you? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, we started talking last week about how the idea of the majority of people who seem to be on the edge, um, if you look into their life somewhere, uh, there is some area of their life, if not multiple areas of their life, uh, that are a mess. Uh, and some of them, the entire thing uh, is the mess. But uh, we left off last week um, by asking you uh, to asking you to, uh, to say this uh, before you start to judge somebody uh, that's kind of on edge around you and be like, what's their problem? Why don't they just relax? Why are they so, you know, chill out? What's going on? Before you say that, remember this. I know a mess when I see one because I am one, right? That's the old, it takes one to know one uh, situation. And the reason uh, that I want us to repeat this is because for so many of us, it's easy for us to look into other people's lives and see where they're messing it up, see where they're unorganized, see where things are falling apart, see where they're making all the bad decisions. But for some reason, it is so difficult to look in the mirror and see those things in ourselves, Right? We, and we've all been in a position where we've created a mess in one or more areas uh, of our life, and the atmosphere around us gets tense when things are a mess, when we have those areas in our life. But when we realize that we've made a mess of things, when we've made a mess of maybe some family things, some relationships, maybe career, finances, uh, and we respond with the phrase, well, nobody's perfect. That seems to be a pretty common defense phrase when somebody brings up our mess. Well, come on, nobody's perfect. Why are you, you know, judging me so hard on this? Uh, we started talking about last week how when you respond with that nobody's perfect idea, um, that is actually an avenue in your life for you to see God when you respond with that. Um, because when we say that nobody's perfect, we are by default admitting that there is a perfect. Just nobody's measuring up to it right? That there is a standard that is outside of ourselves, right? That we did not create. And it's a standard that all of us fall short of. None of us live up to it. And you know that you're not the one that made up the standard because if it was a standard that you made up, as soon as you stopped living up to it, you could just unmake it up, <laughs> right? Well, I'm the one that said it, so I'm going to unset it. And so therefore it's not a thing. Um, I mean, this is the standard for me every time in my life I even pretended that I was going to start working out. <laughs> the standard is I'm going to get up three days a week at this time and I'm going to do it. And it took me about today two of that to not live up to the standard. But since I made the standard, I just unmade it. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not doing that. And I didn't feel guilty in the bit because... It was a standard I had made up in the first place, right? But the scripture teaches us that when we acknowledge our mess and the things that are going on, that we are baby steps away from the presence of God, not only in the world around us, but personally in our lives. Now, I know that some of you uh, have made some pretty big messes in your life, uh, both literal messes and metaphorical 
uh, messes. Uh, so to make you feel better, I want to tell you about one of the messes that I made. Uh, in my life. So, you know, I, for those of you who've been around tapestry very long, uh, you know that I subscribe to the idea um, of as long as I'm talking about my weaknesses, uh, I'm never going to run out of things to talk about. Uh, I am definitely not one of those pastors that sits up here and is like, I've got it figured out. Let me tell you all. Uh, these are just all of us working through it together. So in that spirit, here's one of my messes. Um, so when I traveled in a band, uh, that was probably... Um, let's see what age is probably about 21 to about 25, I guess. In that time period, I traveled around in a band and, uh, there's some fantastic pictures floating around of me, uh, amongst the congregation of those days where hair down to my back and all of these things. And, um, we thought we were big stuff. And so we had set up all of these things to make us look really bigger than we were. I mean, we were just really a glorified church garage band, but you know, we thought we were big. And so we're like, okay, well, how do we make everybody else think we're bigger? And so uh, we started things that maybe weren't necessarily, um, you know, completely, let's use the word honest. Uh, you know, good thing for a Christian band to be, but uh, you know, we're like, okay, well, we got to get off the appearance because it's just about what people think of you, right? And so uh, this was back in the, to let you know when this was, this was back in the days. So we got ourselves a band pager. <laughs> I'm dating myself really bad here. But we got ourselves a band pager. It had its own phone number to it, right? And uh, we created a management company. And the management company was named Fine Line Artistry Management. And we named it Fine Line because it was a fine line between the truth and the lie we were telling. <laughs> So we had fine line artistry management, and uh, what we would do is we'd, uh, you know, contact different venues and all of this, and uh, each of the band, members, it was just us and the band, we were the whole thing, and uh, so we would call up venues, call up churches, youth groups, whatever we had to do, and we're calling them up, and when we would introduce ourselves, we would make sure that we didn't use our real names, but we used our real names. So, for example, I went by Andy Blair. That was my name. My middle name is Thomas. So when I would make the phone calls, I would say, hey, this is Drew Thomas from Fine Line Artistry Management. I told you it was a fine line, right? So then, so then when we would show up at places and we'd book things and whatever, we'd show up and uh, we'd hire just whatever friend of ours that had nothing going on at the time. We're like, we'll throw you some food money and 20 bucks. Come to this gig and be, a, be our road manager, right? Because then, you know, the band would stay back. Road manager goes and meets the people, you know, and they'd be like, oh, well, I, I was speaking with uh, Drew on the phone. Is he here? No, he's not here tonight. You know, this kind of, so I'd never have to talk to him. And this is what we did, right? And we figured out that there's these things that, that bands put out. They're called riders. And uh, it's the whole list of everything that you need. Well, we figured out that the more crazy and detailed the rider, the more legit people thought we were, right? And so we just made up this whole ride. We, we, we looked up a whole bunch of like, uh, this was like in the days of the internet where you had to like hit a page to load and it would like, you went and got a drink while it was loading down or whatever. But there's still stuff on there. So we found some other, you know, like DC Talk and some other big Christian bands at the time. We're like, what do their riders look like? And we're like, this is what our riders gonna look at. So we had like the flavor of Gatorades we wanted waiting on the stage for us, things like this. And, you know, and then they would ask, well, what other bands do you have? And so we're like, ooh, other bands, dang it, it's just us. And so we're like, 
Like, and so uh, we were got pretty good at just uh, getting little local garage bands and being like, hey, you're going to be on our label. <laughs> on our mar- we're going to be your artistry management company. And so we'd just list all these other bands they'd never heard of because nobody heard of any of all these little Christian rock bands. And so this is what we did. Well, we thought, well, we can't just be showing up like in our cars. Like that's not very professional. So we decided we'd buy ourselves an RV. And that RV that we bought uh, was the most unprofessional, death-trappy piece of garbage you have ever seen in your entire life. It was a 1978 Midas, 35 foot long. Uh, When you walked up into it, it still had the big, thick gold shag carpet, uh, but was like worn down and matted down like a shag type of carpet, right? When you're you're in there, it's all like that uh, 1970s wood panel uh, on the inside, you know, the, the cupboards, the door, the hinges didn't work right, so they're hanging crooked, right? I get in and we're taking it for a little test drive. And, uh, you know, I was looking down on where the floor meets the wall on the inside and I could see the road out there because it wasn't connected type of situation. And uh, we're like, it's perfect, we'll take it. And uh, so uh, our guy who was our uh, singer, he was driving the thing home and I'm driving behind it, right? And I'm like, man, it doesn't seem right that I'm driving directly behind it, but I can see the driver because it was tracking down the road sideways. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, whoo, this is a thing, right? And so we're like, we're going to rebuild this RV. So we tore it all the way down to the deck, <laughs> right, in the frame. We're like, we're going to rebuild this thing. Guess who had no idea about how to rebuild an RV at that time? Yeah, all of us in the band. We didn't care. If this thing had rolled over, we'd all been so dead. It is a miracle of God. I'm still sitting here talking to you. But one of the things that we didn't comprehend is that when you uh, put the air conditioning unit back on the stupid roof you messed up, you don't want the slant to be down in towards the air conditioner because then when it rains, guess what? <laughs> all that water collects there and water finds its way in. So our RV had a leaky roof. And we would drive around and our solution was not to fix the leaky roof because who had time or money for that? Our solution was to find one of those big plastic like uh, buckets that you know, you'd see full of like ice and sodas and beers and stuff sitting out at parties or whatever. And we just put it under the air conditioner so that when it rained, it caught the water. And then when it filled up, we'd just open up the door and dump the water out the side. Problem solved, right? This was our way of, you know, we were, we were rock stars. We didn't need to be dealing with the minutia of leaky roofs. So we were uh, in South Carolina. We were on a string of shows that we were playing down there. And uh, man, just a monsoon unleashed from the sky. Uh, water was just pouring in and you know, that thing's getting full. And uh, uh, we had the guy that was with us at that time on that trip, his name was, his name was Todd. And we're like, hey, Todd, we gotta, empty the, we gotta empty the bucket. It's getting ready to start leaking into the RV. And uh, so the driver CR, he goes, hey, all right, I'm getting ready to come up to a stoplight. And so, you know, when it got full, it got kind of heavy. So it was a three-person job. There were two people on the tub, one person to open the door, right? So we'd come up, we'd stop, door would get thrown open, you dump the water out the door, and then you set the tub back down. And depending on where you were at, different energy you used to do that because of time you had. So you needed to do it quick, right? And so we pull up. He's like, all right, all right. We pull up. I'm on one side of the thing. Todd's on the other side. My brother throws the door open. We, well, what we didn't realize was that uh, that thing had gotten filled. It had stopped raining probably about 10, 15 minutes before that. The sun had started peeking out. So the gentleman who had pulled up right next to us on the door that we didn't realize was there, I had decided it was a good time to go ahead and put his top down on his convertible now that the rain had passed. (laughs) So 
so he is sitting at the stoplight. All of a sudden, the door of this piece of garbage RV next to him opens up, and here comes the water all in on the guy. Um, now, you would think we would have been like, oh my goodness, we're so sorry. What we, can we do to fix it? No, we decided to outrun the convertible guy in a junky 1978 35-foot Midas motorhome. Um, it did not end up well. I'm not going to tell you the end of that story. Um, but that being said, I'm no stranger to making messes. <laughs> and I could probably sit up here all day and tell you stories about the messes uh, that I've made. But where would you even start to clean that up? Right? Like that's, that's quite a bit. There, there's nothing within our power <laughs> that we could have done to fix that guy, <laughs> to fix that guy's situation in that car. Maybe if we'd have dug through, we could have found enough cash for him to go to a car wash and suck out some water. Like there was nothing to be done, right? Now, here's who I want to talk to today, okay? There may be some of you that that whole story, the mess from the beginning to the end of that might be the story of your life currently. That just things just are, it's not a great basis to start out with and things just kind of go downhill from that. They're not working right. There's leaks. You're trying to keep it together. Some things are starting to spill out over the sides. You're doing whatever you can to keep it from going everywhere, right? But you've made such a big mess, you're not even sure that it can be cleaned up and where to start. And, and even if it could be cleaned up, as you look around, it doesn't seem you're the one that has the ability to do that. And perhaps for some of you, perhaps some of these messes are absolutely of your own doing, right? Perhaps you ignored somebody's advice. Uh, maybe your parents gave you good advice or told you the way to do something. You just ignore it. Friends, maybe you ignored your conscience. Your boss wanted it done a certain way. There's some kind of rebellious streak in you. You're not going to do what your boss wants you to do kind of situation. Uh, maybe you just ignored what you know God would have had you done in a situation. Maybe even you were telling yourself it was a bad idea and you ignored yourself. That is not an unheard of uh, thing. And you did what you wanted and now there's messes in your life. There's messes and you're wondering, where am I going to go from here? What am I gonna do? Now, as we said last week, it's those messes. It's those messes that brings us uh, together and brings God near. That is where God is close, right? And but I hope that we can walk away with today as we finish this part of the discussion today, um, is this, is that your mess has the potential not to bring God close just to the situation, but to bring God close to you, to you, right? In a way that you've never experienced before. Now, probably, arguably, the most famous verse in the Bible um, is probably John three sixteen. Uh, most all kids in Sunday school growing up learn it. You see it on signs at sporting events and all sorts of other things. And, and, and most of us probably know it. For God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son. And kind of the, the, the subtext of that verse is, for God so loved the messy world. Because the world was a mess. It still is, it was. God so loved the messy world. And what he's saying and it's sitting his whole, sent his only begotten son is, God loved the messy world and so he drew near to it. He didn't judge it from a distance. He drew near to that world, right? But it's better than that because as we're gonna see today, um, 
the verse after that one doesn't get nearly as much airtime as that verse gets. Right? The, the verse that nobody's written the verse after it on their foreheads. Nobody's held up signs at the games with the verse after it on it. But th- this is the verse that maybe, maybe, maybe you need to hear as we begin to discover how the mess in your life may be the very thing that God uses to introduce himself to you in a way that you never thought possible. Here's what John writes in the next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And this is huge. And depending on the church that you grew up in, depending on the family uh, that you grew up in, um, this, that, that idea right there may be life-altering, right? He didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save or free from, deliver from, uh, but to save the world through him. In other words, he didn't come to get into the face of a messy people and say, uh, do you realize the mess that you've made out of your life? Look at what you've done. How dare you? What is wrong with you? Like, do you realize the mess that you've made of your marriage, of your finances, of your future, of your reputation? But no, that's not what it was. God, through Jesus, came into the lives of messy people so that he could subsequently rescue them from the mess, right? Rescue from, which means, which means to rescue us many times from ourselves since we're the ones driving ourselves into the mess so often. And when you read the gospels, you see this throughout the gospels um, in some of the most intimate ways imaginable. One day Jesus is um, headed to the temple and he's in the temple just in the outer courts outside of uh, where the the sacrifices and, and the worship takes place. And the teachers of the law drag a woman before him. And uh, this is a woman who had made a mess of her situation, of the things that she had been doing at that time. And she had messed up her marriage. She was messing up another marriage, right? And she's destroyed her reputation because now everybody knows what she's done. And after a conversation with her accusers, Jesus says to her in front of all of them, I do not condemn you. I don't condemn you. In other words, I'm not going to sentence you to the sentence that you deserve. He said, go, leave your life of sin. You're not condemned. Right? Another day he's walking along and uh, a tax collector is up in a tree listening to him talk, right? And the scripture doesn't tell us this, but just judging from uh, the way the culture worked back then and who the tax collectors were and what they were doing and how hated they were, I imagine that at the bottom of that tree were a couple bodyguards he had paid uh, to keep people away from him. And there were quite a few people who would like to see that tax collector not uh, be breathing any longer, right? And uh, so they, he had that. He had completely messed up his life. He was, he was rejected from his society. He had been considered a traitor to his people right? He'd made the mistake of taking that job as a tax collector. And then in that job began to overtax people. And he built his personal wealth on the backs of the people in his own community. And he was despised and hated. And Jesus stops and he looks up into the tree at this absolute mess of a man who had destroyed most things in his life. And he looks and he says, come on down. I'm going over to your house for dinner. I'm going over to your house for dinner. And he tells this guy, I want you to leave your life of sin and follow me. But, 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 not not just so that, not that easy. 
He told him, he said, you can't just leave what you've been doing and follow me. You need to pay everybody back. You've got to give back the money that you took, right? And, and he did that. He changed. He entered the community and he went a step above, above what Jesus asked. He didn't just pay people back. He paid them back with interest from what he had taken. Another day, Jesus is walking and he's going through an area um, that most Jewish people avoided ever walking through because they despised the people who lived there, right? And as he was by himself, his disciples had gone into town uh, to find some food. And on this blistering hot day when nobody should have been out at that time of the day, this woman comes to the well that Jesus is sitting next to. A woman that had made a mess of her life, had been married five times, which is a lot, if there's one thing that I know, it's that even one marriage that is a good marriage is messy, right? Can't imagine five. That's a messy piece of life, right? And it was just her and Jesus, and she expected him to treat her like everybody else treated her, to ignore her at the best, to judge her at the worst. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Come on over. Let's talk. Let's talk. I will quench your thirst in a way that you never thought possible. Then at the end of his life, he comes into contact uh, with a man who had messed his life up so thoroughly that had so crossed the line in what that culture was that he had been arrested and he wasn't even in good enough standing to serve out a sentence. The only thing that he was good for was for the Roman Empire to make an example out of him by crucifixion. And Jesus said to him, looks over as he's dying right next to him. And he says to this guy whose life was such a mess, he ended up on this cross. He says, look, you're, you're coming with me. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, the amazing thing that I don't want you to miss through all of this is that no matter how messy your life is, whether it's just one little area that you just can't seem to keep under control or the whole thing is falling apart, and no matter how responsible you are for the mess, if it's 100% you and choices you made, here is what Jesus offered all of those people that he offers you. He offered the way out. He, he offered, he, what he offered them is the gospel. It's the message of Jesus. He offered them himself. That was what he offered to give them. This is how we know how God feels about us, right? This, the, the, the clearest picture we have of God is Jesus, right? If you want to know what God thinks, like read what Jesus said. They're the same, right? If you want to know how God responds to people, look at the way that Jesus responded to people, right? J Jesus made a statement, uh, no one comes to the Father but through me. And it's a fantastic statement. I hate the way it's been used throughout history because it's not some exclusionary verse about salvation. What it is, is it's Jesus saying, look, nobody is going to figure out who God is, how he operates, and how he feels about you without looking at me. I am as close to God as you are going to get. Everything else is you're just doing your best to guess and behave. 
But if you wanna get to God, if you wanna know who God is, how he feels about you, how he thinks, how he treats people, you've gotta come through me. I am the closest you are going to get. And Jesus invited messy people to follow him while they were still a mess. While they were still a mess. Right after the woman who got caught in adultery was brought to to Jesus, John, John writes this right before that. In chapter eight, verse 12, he says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. In other words, I can show you the way forward. I can show you the way out of their mess. And when you have heard your whole life, you know, Jesus is the light of the world. Here is what this means for you if you have created some sort of mess in your life. It means you're in a dark place and you need light. It means you're in a messy place and you need to know the way out, the way to start picking up the pieces and putting them back together. And as you watch Jesus throughout the gospels, make his way in and out of the lives of the messy people around him, you can rest assured in this is that Jesus has invited you to follow him even though your life is a mess. Jesus did not pull back from messy people. Jesus went towards messy people. Jesus made messy people feel comfortable around him. And one of the great um, tragedies of the church throughout its history is that it has made people through guilt, through manipulation, through sometimes I think good intentions and just um, misinterpretations, misunderstandings of who God is, is that there has been kind of this thing said of God is this judgmental, scary, you've got to live up to it or you're in trouble, hellfire awaits you approach of how we view God. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that could not be further from the truth. If you want to know God, look at me and all of the people who don't measure up, who are falling short, I bring them closer and they feel comfortable around me. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me. Now I want you to think about something and be honest. Isn't it true that when you did whatever you did to make a life a little bit of a mess, isn't it true that in those moments, you ignored something? You, you ignored your conscience. You, you ignored wise advice, right? You ignored what you knew was the right thing to do, right? You talked yourself into the wrong decision. You knew it was wrong. You did it anyway. Now things are a mess. And Jesus says, look, if you follow me, which means you weren't following me, when things became a mess. You may believe in me. You may have faith in me. But when you did what you did to make a mess, you weren't following me and the things that I taught, right? It's time to start following me if you want to get out of those messes. Because I am the light of the world. I will lead you out of your dark place. Then he, then he makes this promise. So he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I know what you want, and I know that it's what you want because it's what I want. It's what everybody wants. Uh, we want, we want like the triple A version of God, right? We we want we want to be able to when things are in trouble, when we're in trouble, we want to be able to make a call, 
right? Hey, 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 God, we want somebody to show up and fix it, right? Get us going on our way again, right? And then we want to be able to shake their hand and be able to say, all right, well, thank you so much. I'll call the next time I need you, right? But that's not how it works in the real world. That's not how it works. And God, quite frankly, loves you too much to let it work that way, right? God's goal for you is not simply to fix your messes, right? It's not simply to clean things up. His goal is much bigger than that. His goal is relationship with you. That's his goal. You know, as I look at um, raising my boys, I would much rather, if given the option, I would much rather have flawed children who love me than perfect children who don't care about me in the slightest. It's not about the behavior. It's not about the perfection. Your behavior is important, sure, because it can lead into some terrible things. But it's not the most important thing to God. What's most important to God is that relationship with you, right? And that relationship through Jesus, right? Who made the relationship possible. I want to fix. God wants more than that. He wants relationship. So he says, follow me. And then Jesus said this about following him at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who lives in a mess, should have said, built his house on the sand. Uh, Following Jesus begins with a declaration to yourself, (laughs) right? A, A recognition, which requires humility. That is God, I have built my house on sand, on sand, and I am reaping what I've sown. I've built my finances, my marriage, uh, my reputation, my relationships on something that does not last, that is not solid. And my house is crashing down around me and God, I need you. And God, yes, I'm tempted, tempted to treat you like, you know, AAA and call you up when I need you just to come fix things. But I need what you're offering, which is relationship. Following Jesus It's the same way. It's like this as well. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. So everybody who ahead of time decides, yes, yep, I'm going to do what you show me to do. So show me. I'm going to do. I'm not going to just sit back and consider things. We love to consider things, right? I'm not just looking just for advice so that I have different options that I can weigh. No, I am surrendering myself to you. Those who hear the words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And here's the thing that we miss. Um, There is no shortcut for this. There's no shortcut. The word is built. The wise man who built his house. Building is a process. There are steps and there is order and you've got to go in that order and you can't skip any of the steps. Otherwise, it doesn't work. It's a process. It's work. There's labor involved. There's no shortcut. There's no quick fix. And if you try to quick fix, you'll end up in the exact same place that you started. And Jesus tells you, look, I'm going to tell you how to get out of your mess. And I want you to begin with building every area of your life around my teachings. That's where you start to get out of the mess. So then he 
tells us what happens with these houses. The rain came down, the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. So here's, here's the bottom line for today. You can't just pray your way out of a mess that you behaved your way into. I mean, it would be so great and we could strum up some emotional music and have everybody pray over your mess right now and then leave and be like, all right, mess fixed. It's just not how it works, right? There is no magic prayer to just fix your mess, right? And it isn't because God doesn't care that he's not gonna answer the magic prayer. He cares so much that he sent his son into the world who shone a light so bright that if you had followed it, you would not be in the mess that you're in. It was avoidable and we didn't avoid it, right? You did not step into it by following Jesus. You stepped into it by following something else. And God invites you to follow Jesus out. And, and the best part of it is that he will meet you in it. You don't have to get out of it for God to meet you in it. And we know this. We know this because this is how Jesus responded to all of the messy people that he came across. But this is how he responded. The reason we ever heard of Matthew was because one day Jesus walks up to a tax booth and looks at Matthew and he invited him and his mess to follow him. And he did. Zacchaeus publicly came out of the tree and followed Jesus. The woman at the well was the champion, right? When she recognized who Jesus was, she didn't have to, he didn't have to ask her to do anything, right? She put down her water jug, which was literally life and death to her. And she rushed back to her village to tell everybody that was in there, I just met a man who knew all about my past, but unlike you people, did not condemn me. Possibly, could this be the Messiah that we were waiting on? Come, come and see. Your mess, your mess, and this is so important for people to hear, and not just here, but to take into who they are. Your mess does not disqualify you. It doesn't matter what it is. Your mess makes you the perfect candidate for a relationship with God because he went towards the people with the mess. He did not condemn them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you I thank you for the examples that we have in the scriptures through the person of Jesus. That contrary to what some of us have been taught growing up and the way that we feel, that our mess does not cut us off from you. It does not disqualify us from relationship with you. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. It sets the stage for you to show up in our lives in a way that we have never seen before. And so Lord, I, I just wanna pray for anybody in this room that there are parts of their life and for some people, maybe multiple areas of life that are just a mess right now. 
Lord, for most of us, it's things that we did. We got ourselves into it. Lord, let us not be ashamed because of that mess to come to you. Lord, let us feel with confidence your invitation into relationship with you, your invitation to follow you and your words out of our mess. Because we are not good enough to figure it out on our own. Lord, thank you for the invitation. And thank you for always welcoming us back. In your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out today. Uh, look forward to next day as next week as we continue addressing the mess.